Harrison is the principal of Tail Risk Economics, a former economist at the Reserve Bank, who has also worked as an advisor at the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, and the Bank for International Settlements. His firm has just released its review and submission on the Climate Change Commission's draft advice to the government, and he joins us from our Wellington office. Ian, welcome to Taxpayer Talk. Well, thank you, Jordan. I want to start off with a quote from your submission, but before we unpack your report, and I venture to suggest um, lay into the Commission's draft advice, I just want to let listeners know we have made multiple attempts to contact the Climate Change Commission and invite the uh, uh, the chair or the lead commissioner uh, on to the podcast. It's fair to say the response has either been obfuscation uh, or simply ignoring our approaches. So, but if um, the commission is listening, uh, we certainly hope to see you on the show soon. Right, Ian, back to your report. Um, you say the commission's job should be a straightforward technical one how to get from where we are now to net zero carbon emissions by 2050 at the least cost. Instead, it has effectively changed the objective from net to to gross zero emissions, disregarding the clear intent of the legislation that gained near unanimous parliamentary support over a year ago. I just want you to unpack the importance of this difference between gross and net emissions and why you say that the Commission's got it so wrong in its advice. Well, the importance is best illustrated maybe by an example. If you have um, gross emissions of 70 million tonnes, that's 70 million tonnes of work you've got to do to get to zero. But if you've got 20 million um, tonnes of withdrawals from the forests, then that makes the net target 50 million tonnes, which is an easier target. So if you go from, and that's what the legislation provides for, the 50 million tonnes. If you decide not to use forest um, withdrawals, then you've got a 70 million tonne um, target which is more difficult and it has a much greater impact on the economy and people's well-being and so on. So the But wasn't wasn't the whole framework net zero by 2050? Absolutely. Yeah. Are they basically saying that by 2050 we have to have zero? Uh, zero gross. So your next paragraph starts with it is misusing meaning the climate change commission. It is misusing its position to push policies that are sometimes only tangentially related to the objective of net zero emissions by 2050. What, what are some of the examples of areas you think they've departed their lane? Well, one of the big ones will be the um, they're pushing um, compact urban form. And there's an awful lot of contention around that one. Some people say that you know, that has really driven up house prices by withholding land from the market. Is it the Climate Commission's business? Not really. Once you get cars are all electrified, and I think most people agree that that's coming. We're going to have a revolution. Um, there's no emissions. It doesn't matter whether you have a dispersed urban form or a compact urban form. It won't change emissions. But they somehow just can't get away from that you know, or acknowledge that basic fact, and they just want to have a compact urban form. What, what are the reasons for that? I mean, they must explain in the... In the 
they go into some detail on the benefits of that. They want us to work, walk more, cycle more, take more public transport. These are these are pretty set standard sort of environmental uh, objectives, aren't they? Well, they're all in a sense good things, but they're just not the climate change's job to be weighing in on those things. And some of these can get pretty controversial. What the real risk is not that that walking is not a good thing but that efforts will be made at substantial cost, all hang, hung off the proposition that it's absolutely vital for climate change, but it's not. So, I mean, I guess this is the, I pose this question to uh, Oliver Hartwich, who was our last guest on the, on the show, uh, saying, is this really realistically feasible? some of these measures because, I mean, the gas, I use the gas barbecue one as a classic example. I mean, over my dead body will you remove um, my Weber barbecue from me and I suspect that there's a lot of New Zealanders that feel the same way. Uh, if, if what is the real risk here? I mean, what, it, some of the stuff seems so crazy. Uh, I mean, the, you, I know you've particularly focused on the cars, but the idea of um, totally removing uh, any form of electricity uh, generation that produces emissions, um, putting aside the geothermal that we don't like to talk about. Uh, do you think that this stuff really is a risk or do you think that this is just normal pontification from a Wellington bureaucracy that once it hits cabinet is given rightly the kibosh? Uh, well, I don't know. I'm not close to the politics, but you know, there's always a risk when you get kind of um, evangelical stuff out there that people then can't give it the kibosh because that's not in line with the, you know, that received wisdom and so you get stuck with it. And I think you know, this is basically a political document. It's designed to give the Minister for Climate Change what he wants and then the Minister for Climate Change can go, yes, but the um, Commission told me I must do it. So we all must do it. And so that's the purpose behind it. And in terms of costs, what are you? I see that you've you similarly disagree with the commission's one uh, percent of GDP claim. What do you think the costs of these measures? Let's say that they don't change their draft advice, or they just tinker around the edges, and it lands on the cabinet table, and cabinet uh, sign off on it like they said that they have, or like James Shaw and the prime minister has said, they just want to pick it up and and implement it with minimum discussion. What do you? What will that mean for um, mom and pop taxpayer, or you know, New Zealand taxpayer? Well, we don't really know because they um, didn't tell us enough about what's in their model. I made a few guesses, and maybe we could be looking at a hundred billion dollars over you know, over thirty years. That sort of money. You're saying that the costs of these measures are equivalent to a third of annual GDP. Yes, but that's over thirty years. It's you know, it's, it's how to make. A hundred billion dollars. If someone came to you with a proposal to spend a hundred billion dollars over thirty years, it's still a big number. If they come with to you and say, "Oh, but it's only one percent of GDP," it's actually going to be more than that. But only one percent of GDP, then you go, "Oh, it's only one percent." But on those grounds, you agree with virtually everything. You know, not too many individual proposals cost one percent of GDP. You could say it's point one. Let's do it. You know. So you, I mean, from your perspective, what is the optimum amount? I mean, a lot of New Zealanders are deeply concerned about climate change. I think that the 
average Kiwi probably is of a view now that climate change is the biggest public policy issue uh, of our lifetimes. On that basis, over 30 years, $100 billion's money well spent if it solves the problem for us. Well, it's not money well spent if you could have done the same thing at um, a fraction of the price. So we're not arguing about the objective, it's the cost of getting there. So what are the areas where you think the Commission's got it wrong in terms of making it more expensive than it otherwise ought to be? Well, I only examine in detail transport, something about buildings, and they're just plain wrong on electric car subsidies. You know, I'm, you read their stuff and it's based around the proposition that technological change is going to pretty much solve this, and I agree with that. I think in 15 years' time, no one who's buying a new car will think about an ICE vehicle. It'll just be electric. I, I, internal combustion, you mean by ICE. Yep. Internal combustion, yeah, ICE. Um, it's going to be electric. So all this is about is how can we look good now by making, you know, throwing in a big subsidy so the numbers go up in the short run. But it's all pretty unnecessary. Um, if you buy an expensive electric car to, you know, tomorrow, it will be written off in 15 years. The battery will have run down or whatever. So it does nothing, absolutely nothing, to reduce uh, emissions in 2050. All you're going to get is a kind of a warm glow, at least the Commission will get, it's a warm glow now. So let's just, let's just go on to this, because that's primarily what your point is of this. You, you seem to um, really zoom in on this uh, electric car subsidies. You argue that it's a transfer of wealth. Um, you had a great line in there from um, Parirua to Kandala uh, uh, or from South Auckland into Remuera. Just, I mean, the... Uh, at the Taxpayers' Union, we've been pretty suspicious of taxing clunkers um, to fund electric cars when actually the, you know, disproportionately that hits the people that couldn't dream of affording an electric car in the short or perhaps even medium term. What, why, I mean, the, the Commission surely would examine that or look into those trade-offs, wouldn't they? Well, they don't give a lot of sign of having do done so, Um you know, I think it just really comes back to the, the minister was disappointed that he, they didn't get away with this when they were doing the clean car policies, and so they're delivering that, this to them. Of course, the commission then says, oh, we've got to, you know, government will have to do with the equity issues, but they don't say how. So, yeah, most people object to the basic idea that people who just want an eight to $10,000 car to get to A to B they don't drive them very much because they can't afford the gas, should be paying for someone, you know, in Remuera or Kandala. It just doesn't make moral sense. Did you look at any evidence of these schemes working overseas? Well, there's been three. Um, the Dutch did it, scrapped it after one year. Why? Um, because they're meant to be fiscally neutral, but it's really hard to project how many people are going to buy a, a lower emissions car and how many are not going to buy the higher emissions car, and so it was a bit of a mess, so they got out of it. The French had a crack, and um, in the first year, everybody went and bought small cars under the limit and ended up blowing the budget and in increasing emissions because there were more cars bought. The Swedes had a... Sorry, how... Oh, do you mean for things like more hybrid car, oh, the, cars? Uh, oh, this... It wasn't specifically electric versus non-electric. It was emissions. Oh, okay. so, so if you could get okay. under an emissions limit... You got paid. If you were just over the limit, you had to pay. So people just jumped the boundary. 
So they're quite tricky, those things. The Swedes had a crack. Um, that was just a few years ago. Maybe they made a bit of a difference. You know, it's just it's one of those things, governments doing things because they had to be seen to doing it. The other point you make is that the um, is that it's not clear what the marginal uh, abatement cost is per tonne of, and this is, a, again, a, a, something I spoke to Oliver Hart, which from New Zealand Initiative about. Do you have any estimates on how much we'll be paying per tonne of reduced emissions by this transfer over to EVs earlier than it would otherwise happen versus the emissions trading scheme? It will depend on your um, which comparators you use. So I often compare, if you want to you know, feel good or do something worthwhile, just get yourself a Corolla Hybrid. It won't cost you anything because the gas savings will balance the higher cost of the vehicle and you'll be left with a, you know, a vehicle that, puts out about one and a half tonnes a year if you're doing 15,000 Ks. If you go to, say, a Tesla 3, that's another $40,000 or $40, $42,000. The depreciation on that is over five years is five grand, uh, rather about twenty over $20,000. Add up the gas savings, all the, all the rest in bits and pieces. Ignore the, the subsidy you're already getting through road user taxes. And, yeah, at least $2,000. In some cases, more. Some cases will be less. But, you know, think about $2,000 a tonne. Air New Zealand does a, a scheme where you... Oh, setting scheme. Yeah, the price of carbon per tonne in that scheme is $6. I think it's 333 times more expensive to buy an EV than to actually get involved in some scheme which is picking um, um, credits from overseas. Because you're helping those people because, you know, there'll be businesses related to that and so on. So, you know, if you really... But but that, of course, is not so transparent and doesn't make you feel so virtuous because you're not riding around in your Tesla. But you could, you know, buy 500 tonnes, which will go offshore. New Zealand won't get the credit for it, but, you know, the climate doesn't care where the emission is and it doesn't care whether you're, you feel good or bad. But, the, you know, 500 tonnes is a better deal. Okay, but we talked about, in in summary, you think that the whole electric car subsidy thing's rubbish. Is that a fair, <laughs> that's a, that, a, that, a fair summation? That would be a fair summation. Yeah. What, what then should the Commission be doing? I want you to, because this is the challenge, it's all very well to complain about a regulator and them doing their job. But if you were in the shoes of the Commission and you've got the end point there at the net zero emissions, yeah. what would you be doing? What would your recommendations, if, you, if tail risk economics was tasked with with that job? Uh, well, first thing would be to you know, let the, um, the ETS chug on and the prices will go up, so that will work. Realistically, politically, you've possibly got to do some things. I just mentioned in the paper, it's a little bit unserious and a bit serious. There's the uh, Tesla Cybertruck out there which is available for pre-order. And you can pre-order these things at $200 refundable. The government could go out and pre-order 10,000 of them um, and then say to all the Westies and tradies, you know, <laughs> you can get a pre, you know, you get your te- uh, uh, Tesla Cybertruck. Have you seen these things? They're pretty cool. Yeah, I have the yeah, yeah. one with a window broke. Yeah. Um, and then you go, and plus, if you pre-order... One person will be in the draw to get one of those super um, three-engine type things that get from zero to 102.7 seconds. And you'll just win so many hearts and minds. I'm not sure the taxpayers' union would be 
overly keen on the idea of writing a big check to Tesla. But I think the point you're making is it's really security of supply because that's something that we, we haven't covered but your paper covers is that one of the issues will be even if we do have the technology is that New Zealand being at the bottom of the world, we're just not going to have the supply from the likes of Toyota and Tesla and um, Hyundai of the level of electric vehicles we will need to to cover the whole fleet. Is that is that the point you're making? No, it's not. It's more of a, if the government wants to make a bit of a splash at zero or close to zero cost, then that's one way to do it, you know, because... I mean, you could have the PM talking to Elon Musk and it would be, you know. But how is that different to what the commission proposed? How is that any different? Oh, because it's a lot cheaper, basically. Oh, it doesn't cost you anything. It's a good laugh. Um, the, I, I Look, supply issues are just a short-run adjustment thing. Um, you, But we are getting these um, cars coming in. If you a, a host of them will come in this year and the Chinese manufacturers are now coming in. They'll drive down prices. This will take, you know, it could be a year or two before things sort, or three before they sort themselves out. But chucking a subsidy on New Zealand cars is not going to change that. So your problem isn't so much the ban of the ICE vehicles; it is the it is the subsidy on the way through that you're concerned about. I wouldn't ban ICE vehicles either because. What you have is we have a, a, a different market. In but you, you just said that doing things at a low cost from the government's perspective, that for the sake of virtue signaling, of which your Tesla proposal yeah. is, is worthwhile. Aren't you just doing exactly what the government's doing, albeit in a way that Ian Harrison prefers, as opposed to the way that the climate commission is preferred? Well, I, I disagree with the proposal to ban ICE vehicles from 2032 or wherever. Because you know, we do have a distinct market in New Zealand that a lot of people depend on cheaper used imports. Call, call them second life, second life cars. If you ban those, those th- those people will be cut out of the market. There won't be the used import um, electric cars in Japan. They hardly buy any electric cars right now. So you'll cut those people out of the market and. What will they do? They'll sit on their old cars. It'll look like Cuba because it's going to be a long time before there's enough second-hand cheaper electric cars so that the people who can only afford eight to $10,000 can buy a decent electric car. So what evidence does the Commission rely on in terms of this? They must point to elsewhere in the world and say, look, this is working, let's emulate this, or is this cutting-edge stuff? What is cutting-edge stuff? What particular proposal? I mean the the proposal around subsidising electric cars. Oh, lots of people are doing it, and most of them are trying to get out of it. Brits started off at a, de- um, a certain rate, and they've just cut it because what they're trying to do is, you know, they can see the fiscal costs looming in front of them, and they just recently cut them from three and a half thousand pounds to two and a half thousand pounds, and cut out some cars from eligibility. The problem with the subsidies, once you get into them, it can be damnably hard to get out. The Norwegians just piled on the subsidies, and but they couldn't get out because if they did, the numbers of the take-up numbers would you know, plummet, and their glorious place in the world would be lost. So they've solved this by banning ice cars from 2025. But most other people, you know, just don't want to get into it too much, and a lot of people don't subsidise. Okay, so you're saying it's expensive. You're saying that that it is a bit of a tar baby that once you start, you can't stop. Uh, but ultimately, this policy, if it goes ahead, should see us 
have an electric fleet earlier, except it will probably mean that for the uh, the poorer parts of society, they're going to hang on to their clangers, but at least the new cars are going to be uh, going to be electric. Some would argue that's at the end of the day a good thing, though, Ian. Well, they might, but you, know, you can always do these things an awful lot cheaper. What the commission did do, they did model it, and they found that the New Zealand take-up would be slightly lower than Japan and particularly Europe by 2040 without any subsidies. So, you know, what problem are they solving? Nothing. All they're doing is giving some lucky people a bit of a windfall. You know, like maybe, I'm not sure what the number is. Is it, is it a chocolate fish or is it $25,000? They don't tell us. But, you know, some people get a windfall temporarily. There'll be a few more cars running around the place, you know, in the short run. And in the end, it doesn't make much difference. But we'll... But it will reduce emissions. Very marginally. Ian, thanks again for making yourself available at short notice for a Taxpayer Talk. To read Ian's excellent submission, visit tailrisk.co.nz forward slash document lists. You have until the end of the week to have your say on the Climate Change Commission's draft report and the Taxpayers Union, we've made it easy for you to have your say. If you visit www.taxpayers.org.nz forward slash climate. Finally, don't forget to subscribe to Taxpayer Talk or better yet, give us a five-star review so others hear about uh, the podcast and our work. We also welcome your feedback or polite uh, or constructive criticism, please, via podcast at taxpayers.org.nz. Thanks again to my guest, Ian Harrison from Tail Risk Economics. 